Welcome back to Dare to Feel. I'm your host, Alexandra Roxo, creative artist, best-selling author of Fuck Like a Goddess, transformational and spiritual mentor and coach. This series is based on my book, Dare to Feel. In each episode, we'll deepen into topics around intimacy, relationships, spirituality, healing, and beyond. In today's episode, we're speaking with Diego Perez, known as Young Pueblo, about all kinds of things. Marriage, meditation, creativity. It is a deep conversation, and I hope you enjoy. Hi, everybody. Welcome. I am so happy to have an old friend, a dear human, Diego Perez, who you would know as Young Pueblo, on our podcast today. Welcome. Uh, Alexandra, and I like to call you in my mind, Roxo. It's cool. Uh, I think a lot of people do. It's great. (laughs) Yeah, it's so good to like just check in with you right now, my friend. It's been a long time. Yeah. Um, Diego Perez is a meditator and number one New York Times bestselling author who is widely known on social media through his pen name, Young Pueblo. Online, he has an audience of over 3 million people. He has sold over 1 million books worldwide that have been translated into over 25 languages. His writing focuses on the power of self-healing, creating healthy relationships, and the wisdom that comes when we truly work on knowing ourselves. Diego's fourth book, The Way Forward, is out now. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I I mean, I just want to say congratulations. And when we met you, um, we're starting on your path and it's been just incredible to watch you. Um, I know. I like how we were all converging. And I think, I guess for those listening, like me, you saw moon, um, and a few others, we were like, like, yeah, Ian, like coming together. And it felt like we were coming together, like in our rookie season, Yeah, you know, like, I mean, we'd all been growing and like doing our things, but it felt like such a beautiful little moment in New York city where we all got to be a group and be friends. Yeah. It was a special moment then I think. And I remember, kind of everybody discovering themselves in a certain way and what they wanted to do next. Um, And everybody has, right? I have to say, you're the one who's become the superstar. (laughs) I don't know. I think, I think it's, in my mind, it's Saw. Like no one can just like, Saw is just on his own trajectory, just flying upward. And yeah, I, I, yeah, he's just always such a source of inspiration for me. He is, he is. And everybody's different and everybody's path is so different. And it's a really big deal to impact millions of people's lives in a positive way. And whatever that karma is for you. um, I'm glad you said it like that, because honestly, sometimes I say it to people, it's like, this is just some karma that's working out, that's working itself out. And it, I kind of get blank stares, but I think the law of karma, you know, and, and sp- speaking specifically like cause and effect, like the input produces a certain output. And, um, and I don't know what it was, but this is, it just feels like some karma that's playing itself out. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think that yeah. I'm sure, well, I'm not sure, but I imagine for you as a like a Buddhist practitioner Mm -hmm. that there is also practice around not being attached to it. And, you know, that's the game. Yeah. And knowing that you're going to give your gift, what, regardless if five people are watching or 3 million people are watching. And it's, I imagine it's a, almost a harder practice not to be attached and you can answer this, which was not one of the questions I was going to ask you, but we'll do it. But here we are. But how do you stay humble and not attached to those numbers or outcomes as you grow in leaps and bounds? Yeah, the I think the humility aspect is something that I'm like constantly trying to check in with myself. And it's not something that I can really say, oh, I am humble, right? It's like more so determined by my wife, by my mom and dad, <laughs> my brother, my sister, and, you know, and dear friends who are like my close sort of, you know, my network. And, um, and I think it's sort of the way they see me really helps me see myself. And I think in my own mind, 
if my ego is growing, then I'm actually going backwards on the path, right? I'm moving closer to suffering, but really I need to be moving away from suffering and closer to freedom. So just to be clear, if my ego is decreasing, then I'm getting closer to freedom. And to me, it's like, that's the, the main measurement. And yeah, the numbers fluctuate, right? Like things, when you look at it from, um, from that sort of macro perspective, things have been growing, but then even as things are growing, like there's always these like ups and downs and, you know, the algorithm is not always your friend and right. you're just like, so you you're know, saying you you're human too. Yeah. No, it's like, it's totally, <laughs> you, have days you know, where you're like, Oh, why isn't that reached as many people or something? Yeah. Like, Oh, I thought that'd be a good piece and it totally flopped and you, you never, you know, you, you never really know, but I, it's, those moments are like little testing grounds where it's like, how attached am I really? How much do these numbers matter? And if, and there's one thing that I see the potential of it in myself and I see it in other people where like, when you find what works with what you're putting out online, you kind of restrict yourself to only putting that out. And I feel like if I'm giving up that creative element of risk, then I'm way too attached. So I need to be risking and and putting things out there because this feels intuitively correct to put out and to try. And if I limit myself from that, then it feels like ego and fear is winning. Right. That mm-hmm. makes total sense. And I think people need to be reminded of that because I think what can happen to any creative is when people are clapping and applauding for a certain shtick or yeah. a thing that you do in general, then you almost like can unconsciously just give them more of that and then mm-hmm. prohibit your own creative expansion. And I think that is where we need community mentors, guides, like we need to step away from the work and like just sit on our own and touch base. Um, and, totally. and where social media is so different because in the past writers didn't have the immediate feedback loop. So they had plenty yeah. of time to sit solo, but now the feedback's immediate. And so it's like, how do you extricate yourself from that feedback loop? You know? It's- yeah. And, and it's tough because there's, I, I feel like in the beginning when I was first putting things up on like 2016, 2015, that immediate feedback helped me see if I'm actually making sense. Right. Cause that's one thing when you write and it's just you in your room or you on your laptop, you know, you don't, you don't really know if what you're saying makes sense. And so for other people to interact with it and you're like, Oh, okay, there's some degree of clarity here. I can be more clear or, you know, you can start figuring out which topics are important to you and which ones also connect with the audience. Yeah. So that you, cause I think a lot of times writers, you know, it's rather hard to give all of yourself. So what people end up giving is like you know, 15, 20% of like what they're thinking about and what they feel they want to put out into the world. Yeah. But um, it's a, it's a hard trade-off because if you do get way too hyper-focused on those numbers and what com- the comments that are coming and the reviews and whatnot, then you're just going to end up like writing the same thing over and over again. Right, right. I can't believe that you've written four books already. I just am like, oh my goodness. And so your new book, The Way Forward, um, delves into themes of personal growth and healing from trauma, heartbreak, heartbreak and relationships. Um, so it, for people that follow your work, they know that that's not new, right? Like those are topics. No, those are the, my, those, those are the themes that I love. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm just curious, like, there must be a real impetus, like a real something that keeps you circling around those themes. And I want to know what is that? Was it a few experiences? Is it an internal question that you're holding? What keeps you tethered to the inquiry and investigation exploration of those themes? Uh, to to be like so honest, I think it's because those themes are the building blocks of society. Like yeah. your your personal transformation, that's not just for you. Right. It's for everyone around you, for your community, the way you interact with your relationships, right? Like in relationships, there's often uh, you know, intentional, unintentional violence that happens. Some of it is physical, some of it is not physical. Now, this violence may permeate throughout our society. So to me, I think the individual and the immediate, especially the intimate relationships that we, um, that we are in, 
they ripple out into what our society looks like. And I think when I first started writing, I was inspired by two things. Um, the fact that healing was possible and that transformation is happening on a global human level. Like, I think it's tough to see sometimes because we see a lot of the down moments. That's what the media captures. But, I, but I've never seen something spread like fire, the way therapy, the way meditation, the way all these different healing modalities have exploded onto the world. Millions of people are like actively healing themselves. And I think that is going to change the trajectory of history into a more positive direction. It's not going to be two years from now. It's not going to be five years from now, but it's going to be, we're talking a hundred year game. Yeah. And to me, I focus on those two topics because I see the influence in my life, how my personal transformation has helped improve the relationships that I'm a part of with my parents, with my wife, with my friends. And I see how that's, you know, making me think and create differently. And I'm, I'm so inspired that like so many others are going through the same process. But to me, it's so valuable and important to keep trying to connect it to global transformation, because, you know, that's one of the reasons why we do it. We want a better world for each other. I love that you said, like, never have we been on such a beautiful trajectory of people healing. And I'm so tired of people only focusing on all of the disaster of oh, yeah. climate change <laughs> and all these things. Obviously, there's reality to yep. all the yep. conversations happening. But but the conversation that you're, the point that you just brought through is so real. It's so real. Like, our grandparents weren't doing this. They didn't have the means. They didn't have the resources. They were in survival. Yeah. Obviously, they didn't have the awareness around it. Like there wasn't the access, all of that. And I do feel like it's rare to hear people say like, wow, how fucking awesome yeah. that I'm imagining out of your followers, yeah. there are people around the world of all ages, all cultures that are reading your poetry about healing. Yeah, to me, it's like, it's mind blowing. And I think about like, I love history. And I think about, you know, how rough history has been for so many different groups of people. And I rather have been born now than 100 years ago, oh my right? God. or 50 years ago, right? Yeah. So like, um, I feel fortunate to have been born in this time. And at the same time, I can recognize that we still have a long way to go, of course. right? There's, we still can improve. Um, like how, you know, how compassionate humanity can be towards itself and each other, right? Towards individuals and others. But to me, it's like, it's awe-inspiring and kind of like shocking that at the same time that we have these massive challenges that we need to overcome. And we're talking like, you know, income inequality, like massive poverty, you know, yeah. um, increasing levels of education, climate change. You can just go on and on and on, right? Massive challenges. But at the same time, it's all happening and we're all reckoning with it at a point where the world has become globalized. Cause even during our parents' time, right. It would, it would have been quite difficult um, to, you know, get a particular technique from Tibetans yeah. or get a particular technique from Burma, you know, that could help you just alleviate the density in your mind and start moving you towards freedom. Or similarly, like, you know, Western therapy practices were still developing and they, were in certain pockets or certain areas where, you know, it was only for the very wealthy. So in terms of accessibility, things are definitely more accessible than they were before. But they're also like, you know, from anywhere from like here to Singapore, like you can just type in like, what can I do for my anxiety? And you're going to get tons of stuff, like right. so many different options. Right. And then your job is to find something that right. meets you where you're at. Right, right, right. And it's incredible. Yeah, I appreciate that outlook instead of, um, the fatalistic one, um, that's very popular nowadays. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned something, you said that part of it, I can't remember the exact words, but that when you realize that healing is possible, right? Like one of the reasons you're writing about healing. And I'm curious, what's a moment in your life where you realize that healing is possible? Is there something that you can come up with? Yeah, there's, there's one clear, clear moment. Um, after I finished my first silent 10 day meditation course, um, I was, I took that course in Onalaska, Washington, and I went back to the farm that I was staying at in Portland, Oregon. And I remember getting back on the farm and being like, wow, my mind feels better. Like I've never felt my mind 
light like that. Like it, it really did feel like my mind had lost weight. If that even, you know, it was like a concept. Um, and I was so shocked by that because when I was actually in the course, like the course was so challenging, you know, being there for 10 days, trying my best to meditate and, you know, just going through that whole process where you're like constantly with your emotions, constantly with yourself. There's like, there's no, nothing that you can even distract yourself with. Doing that for the first time felt like, like a Herculean effort. Like I was, it was so hard. But then when I get out, I was like, oh, snap, like I feel better. Yeah. And that to me was shocking. So then I, you know, I signed up and went to another one two months later because I was like, I'm not done yet. You know, like I got, I got a lot of healing to do. I got a lot, a lot more work to do. Mm-hmm. So I kept going back. And, um, and I, as I kept going back, it was just like the results were still there. They were still coming. You know, I put the effort in and the result would be clear. And, and that's what introduced me to, you know, healing as a reality because, we're talking 2012. This is before, you know, that sort of more matured version of social media right. that we have now. That's before like the, the MySpace self- era, right? Yeah, we're talking like early Facebook, very, very early Instagram, you know, and this is before the self-love wellness movement started arising. Right. And so the idea of healing to me was like, it felt like something that just shocked me because never before had I encountered an, even an idea like that, I think I, I grew up in a way, and I, I think a lot of others grew up in a way where if you had some issue mentally or physically, you were just going to have to live with it for the rest of your life. Right. And usually not talk about it and feel ashamed about it too. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So when you, before you came into that course, were there certain things that you were dealing with that then became alleviated or lighter afterwards? Yeah, definitely. I think I had a long streak of accumulating a lot of sadness and anxiety from when I was a child because we I was born in Guayaquil, Ecuador in South America, and we emigrated to um, Boston. And so I got to Boston when I was about four years old. And during that time, we just like experienced just terrible poverty. You know, it was, it was quite difficult being in this new environment for my parents. So seeing them go through that struggle, seeing them, you know, fighting about like how they're going to pay the rent, how they're going to make it through. Um, I think imprinted so much of this like sort of scarcity mindset, this anxiety would bubble up. And um, over that time, I had no way to process it. So it just sort of kept accumulating. And when I got to college, um, being in an even more different environment and there being, you know, so many drugs and parties available, I just like leaned towards that to just get away from yeah. my emotions. So I never had to admit that anything was wrong. And and when I got there, um, you know, I just developed all these nasty habits that pushed my body to the brink. And it was a year before I did that first meditation course where I, you know, I almost lost my life from just pushing my body to the edge. And I realized, okay, if I keep going in this direction, I'm not going to exist anymore. Mm. So my only option is to do the opposite of what I was just doing. So instead mm. of avoiding my emotions, be with them. Instead of, you know, treating my body like trash, like treat it, treat it well yeah. and try to feed it and make it stronger. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, mm. So you said that the, out of the books, out of the three books in the trilogy that you've written, which I love the third trilogy, that's mm-hmm. awesome, that this one is your favorite. Um, yeah. And I want to know why. What is it about this one that makes it your favorite? I think it's, uh, I think I, I've just been growing as a writer. Yeah. Like, you know, getting honing down your voice as a writer, that is a long-term project. Sure and I love, um, you know, that first book that I put out, but I think that first book inward, uh, a lot of people love it and they read it over and over and they find a lot of value in it, which I'm happy because I'm happy to serve in that way. But I think as a writer, I was like, you know, this is so, the book was so intentionally minimalistic that it doesn't really show the depth of some of the topics. And I got closer to that in clarity and connection and lighter, the third book that I wrote is a nonfiction book, so it's a totally different animal, right? right. So it's, they're not even like can't even compare. But when I got to the way forward and I was putting it together and like you know grabbing my best pieces, writing new ones, 
I was like, man, I was like, you've come a long way Aww. in terms of being able to explain yourself. Mm. And, um, and it felt like I wanted to put the finishing touches on these topics that, you know, I've been hitting at for so, for so long. And it was funny. I had this moment when, when the book was done, you know, got into production and I could feel how it's just one big book. It's just, you know, right. it's just like these three books, they all flow together as one. And the way forward in particular captures like, how do you exist in alignment as the world keeps changing? And I think to me, that's like one of the biggest questions we ask ourselves, like, what are my, my genuine values? Like, how do I connect with my intuition? And then like, how do I, I help myself navigate like all these relationships and all these sort of ups and downs of life? Yeah. Well, I want to ask you that. How do you, how do you stay in alignment, <laughs> especially in a time, right? Where there's so much influence, right? Via the internet, via the news. Um, it's insidious in a way that in order for us to maintain our minds as clear in our own, like, mm -hmm. I mean, how do you, how do you navigate that? I mean, I think I did something similar that you did. Like I moved out to the middle of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Getting out of the constant uh, hustle hubbub. <laughs> yeah. I like it. So my wife and I, we, you know, we, we were all in New York City for a while. I was there for seven years. And then we moved to the woods in Western Mass and, you know, living on land, gardening, just having the, you know, this opportunity to have all these activities that do not need to involve your phone um, yeah. is like the best. And I'm like, when I go out to my garden and I'm going to go weed or collect more Tulsi mm -hmm. that I'm growing, leave the phone, you know, yeah. and just like making these moments where I can have solitude or when I'm going on walks with Sarah, it's like, okay, we don't even need our phones. We know how much time, you know, it's, right. it's, we're going to be fine. And it feels so like necessary. And honestly, those moments are too far. Like I need more of those moments because mm -hmm. I also spend time obviously like meditating daily. And those are moments, of course, of solitude. Um, but a lot of it just feels like those quiet moments when you're with yourself or more intentionally with another person are so regenerative in a way where it's not the same as when you're scrolling or watching TV or, or, or reading information because every time you're reading information, it consumes energy and it's exhausting. Like you spend time just taking in all these memes and all that stuff. Yeah. By the end of it, you're so tired. Right. A part of you is even if I think a lot of people probably don't recognize that because of the adrenaline and the sort of, you know, nervous system response. That's just like so fast. Um, but you're what you what you're saying is right it's like underneath you are it's tiring you're mentally loading yourself and the mental load becomes a heavy one to carry when you're just inputting 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 right. um and if you're gardening without the phone then you're not you're you're that's a space where the mind can soften and relax totally, nature totally. can work her magic on you and it's inspiring to hear you say that because you know, my partner, he'd be like, he would be like phone free, no phones in the bedroom. <laughs> oh. I'm the one that's like, I want to watch this show, you know? And I was like, God, did I watch as much TV before the pandemic? And the answer is no. Um, oh, no. You know, yeah. and I think they got us. I mean, not that it's an evil machine like that. I know, but the shows got better. Show so it's, got it's tough. <laughs> and we, we tried to put these rules of like, okay, Friday nights only or like eat or whatever. And then I'm like, but I really want to watch this one tonight. You know, but we've gotten better about it. It. I think, you know, there, there are phases where you just, you have more. Totally, time. totally. Sometimes you really got to dig deep into the reality TV. And <laughs> I feel like that's, that's one thing that I've like owned up Which to. Which one like, watch? I'm so curious. You know, I'm going to be honest. I, my wife and I have seen every season of Love Island UK. Okay. Like that's been our jam um, for a number of years. And we also watched The Challenge and um, MTV is a challenge. And it's just like, those are like, my chill, yeah. like, let's just relax. And, you know, I used to kind of feel bad about that. Like, oh, do I need to change this about myself? But it's like, no, dude, you don't need to be serious all the time. Exactly. Like, just relax, exactly. you know, just exactly. be cool. And uh, one of my favorite meditators and writers, you all know, Harari, 
he had an interview once where he was like, yeah, me and my husband just like watch mad reality TV. And I'm like, great. Yeah. Like this guy, you know, he's like, he meditates as much or more than I do. So I'm just like, word, yeah. like if this dude does it, I'm, I'm cool. Yeah. <laughs> and I just want for everyone listening, this isn't a blanket statement for you guys to go watch a bunch of reality TV. <laughs> Diego meditates a lot. Okay. So, yeah, so, yeah. so he's balancing out that depth and that holding of deep presence with the spaciousness of play and whatever. And, and, but totally, totally. But, but, yeah. You know, it's, it's a balance, right? Because you do the deep work. And I think that that's important. And it's just when we are, when we leave our practice behind or when we leave our presence behind and we just are in the like scrolling and TV, and that, then that that's where it can become a problem. I think and you're, li- you're literally hit, you're hitting at balance, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're talking about balance. So like the same way that, so my wife and I, we meditate two hours a day, an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening. And that's a, a non-negotiable. We're just every day. That's what, that's what we do. We've been doing that for eight years now. Wow. And, um, but at the same time, we have moments for play, yeah. you know, like we're just like, we, we got to just relax and chill. Like it's not always going to be about work or self-work or anything like that. Totally, It's a, it's a nice balance. Yeah. Do you feel like as you continue to write about these topics around healing and relationship, do you still have like healing curriculums that are, that come up to visit you that come and uh, tap you on the sh- your shoulder and be like, hi Diego, I'm not gone yet. Um, totally. Totally. I think. Um, the fitness space of like being in a relationship, like, did you just call it the fitness space? Yeah. I love that. (laughs) I know it's a term I learned from a teacher, uh, shout out to professor Pomper from, from college. Okay. It really showed me, um, you know, it just shows you what you got to work on. (laughs) That's like so clear. Again and again. And I feel like I'm often trying to like just learn new ways to support Sarah and her power. And like, mm-hmm. just really trying to support her freedom. You know, obviously we have so, so many like mutually, uh, create, you know, commitments that we have to each other that are so clear and feel good to the both of us. But, um, I don't ever want to like, you know, be controlling or be too attached or like, it has to be this way. Like to me, it's like, we like, like let's, let's build a rhythm so that the two of us, feel great about our decisions especially when we're like building and facing life together so i have to you know see myself and be like you know am i actually genuinely supporting her in this moment Mm. and i think the practice too of when we like actually get into you know little moments of arguments and we're you know getting too heated I really am trying my best to, to just to not get caught up in that, in the, in that moment or in trying to win or anything like that, really trying to focus on understanding as opposed to winning. So to me, the moment specifically that I'm tra- trying to practice is when you put your head above the water and you're like, mm. oh, I've been swimming deeply in my emotions and I've been so caught up in that feeling of tension and just making that tension bigger and bigger. And then I put my head up above the water and I'm like, oh, right. The person I'm talking to and arguing with is my wife, the love of my life, my best friend. This is not an enemy. This is someone right. I actually want to understand. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, trying to learn that over and over again. And we've made, we've made a ton of progress because we used to be like, we used to be the worst. Ah! <laughs> <gasps> wow. Wow. I yeah. like that. I've, I've had those moments where I have to catch, like, it's almost like this really quiet voice that I can tell is making my partner the enemy. And I also oh, remind myself, mm-hmm. I'm just like, hey, this is your love. Like, he's not trying to hurt you, you know? Um, yeah. And and to me, that's like something that was unconscious, right? And then it becomes a little whisper where a, a mm-hmm. part of us is going, oh, I'm noticing that I'm making them an enemy or I'm making them a bad guy. And yeah. so humbling to then go, wow, I was probably doing that for a while before I heard that voice. Oh. <laughs> Uh, totally. And with everything, yeah. right? Not even just with them. Like you see it in that relationship. Can you imagine how many times you were projecting that tension onto like the different pieces of art that you've seen and the people that you interact with and the work that you do? And you're just like, yeah. oh my gosh, shooting negativity everywhere. Yeah. So yeah. Besides sitting in tons of deep meditation, which you've done for many years, it's just incredible. 
what are the other ways that you have come into healing and that have felt like the biggest uh, supports and tools for you? I think um, the the meditation really covers the realm of sort of like mind and spirit and like being aligned with, you know, moving in a, in a good direction towards freedom. But the other side of it has been very health focused. Like mm. I've, I've had to learn over time, just like, what's the right diet for my body? Mm. Like how much food does my body need? Like how much exercise, what type of exercise, mm. you know, what supplements am I lacking? Like I just, I just had this wonderful, um, you know, I, I met with uh, Doc Amen who's a very popular psychiatrist and he did a brain scan on me um, because it it was the show that he does with people. And, and I got to see like literally what my brain looks like. And he pulls up the skin and he's like, uh, you know, I had told him that I had fallen downstairs when I was 20 years old, one time when I was really intoxicated. And he was like, yeah, this is where you hit yourself right here. And he was like, and you also hit the back of your head. And, and he was like, this is how I can see. And he literally showed me like a dent where like blood doesn't (gasps) flow and another dent in the back. And it's like these things, you know, this was 15 years ago and there's still the effect of that and you can visibly see it. And it made me, you know, just like one, so grateful to him. And he was like, yeah, we can fix that. He's like, but you know, it's with the right supplements you know, HBOT like therapy and, um, in HBOT, it's like a, an oxygen therapy and also with pickleball. He's like, you got to play tennis or pickleball or racquetball because hand eye coordination is critical to sort of making sure dementia doesn't happen when you're a lot older. Wow. And I was like, my goodness, you know? So mm. I think to me, like thinking about myself in those sectors where it's like, you know, I get so much learning and knowledge and that non-reactive quality is constantly being developed with meditation. Um, so the peace building is happening, but how can I keep this body in alignment? Um, that's been like the long journey for me and, and still, you know, honing it down, but yeah. super grateful to be putting that intention there. Cause I can feel that when my body is strong, it's so much easier to be like kinder and peaceful and, you know, and all of that. Do you feel like there's an aspect of that that's like reparenting and healing that little one that had those first four years where maybe things were more scarce or you didn't have the amount of care or attention because your parents Mm -hmm. are moving? Like, do you feel a relationship or a connection with that? That's interesting. I think about, um, I think there's definitely, you know, a lot of healing that is in relation to how I grew up and all the things that I experienced, you know, with all of that scarcity. And it was, it was a long period of time. It was like for you know, 15, 20 years of that. Right. And, um, but I, th- I think a lot of healing um, happens in the present moment, Yeah. you know, where like, if I want to deal with how I was back then, like those old emotions will come up and they'll come up, quite viscerally when you're triggered and it's like you know your perception is we'll see something that reminds it of the past and you're like oh danger you know and this is how we react to this thing and to me I'm more so very attentive to like how I'm doing and feeling in the present moment and am I accepting what's arising Mm -hmm. and there's so there's this beauty of acceptance um that once you're like oh yes this I'm feeling this tension I'm not fighting it I'm being with it but I'm also not allowing it to govern my actions or, you know, or my thoughts. And I'm just moving with it, living with it peacefully until it passes. And I think I found a lot more healing in, in, in terms like that. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So it's like not necessarily needing to dive into the story of why that's showing up in the present, but instead just being with how it shows up. Totally. And I think oftentimes the story is like pretty clear, like, you, yeah. you know, you know, you know why you're like that. But I think every, every tough emotion that you're feeling, you know, it's, it doesn't, not all of them need a narrative, not all of them need, you know, no. it's like, oh, I, I woke up feeling like crap because my mom said this to me when I was seven, but that's not always, some, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's just like you didn't get enough hours of sleep yeah. or you ate something that wasn't great for you yesterday. Totally. And, and, you wake up, and who yeah. the heck knows? I mean, there may be all these other sort of 
energetic, invisible things happening and cosmic. And if we tried to figure it all out every time, we'd be really full-time busy looking at ourselves, you know? Yeah, (laughs) totally, totally. Um, So in one of your pieces, you wrote, the healer you've been looking for is your own courage to know and love yourself completely. And I think that is so beautiful. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm curious, do you feel, I guess a bit of a vulnerable question, but do you feel like you've reached that point where more often than not, you feel like you love yourself completely? Oh, that's such a nice question. I think no. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, no, yeah, no, I think, um, I'm like, I'm still growing. Like, I feel like we're all just like, all I do is reflect in the open. I'm just like openly reflecting. Um, And, but I'm still on the journey. Like I feel what I do have more of now is that, is that I I treat myself with curiosity. And I'm like, I'm like, Oh, like, you know, what, what is that? What, and not not like, not why is that, but what does that feel like? Yeah. You know, and I, and because a lot of times, and I think this is something that a lot of people miss is there's so much mental chatter and all this, all these memories and all these, you know, thoughts, but what we're often fighting against it, are the sensations on the body. Right. So like when you have anger, yeah. like you, you feel anger in the body. When you have sadness, you feel sadness or fear. It's a clear feeling on the body. We don't like those feelings. We mm-hmm. react to them, yeah. you know, with aversion. And I think to me, I've become much more like in tune with what sensations are arising. And as opposed to reacting with them with aversion or with craving, it's like, oh, let me just observe. Yeah. I'll try my best to observe what's happening. And I think that's been sort of my like go-to daily practice because I'd you know, it's hard, it's hard to just like constantly be there with yourself. And it's not perfect. Right. And I think when I am fully observing myself, that's like, there's love there. But a lot of times it's trying to observe myself. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, because you mentioned like the self love movement. And um, I think that a lot of that just concept of bringing that into people's awareness is great. But it's almost like, that concept has sat at the top surface level of people's awareness and for it to really sink down into that depth of who we are. I think that's a lifelong practice and it's just, it's not something that can be kind of bought or sold or easily packaged or thank you, you (laughs) Um, you know, or something that's a quick move. I mean, and so it's, it's painful sometimes to, to feel how, like, it's almost like the one inside of us who's craving that, like, oh, if I do this, it's self-love, you know? And it's like, yeah, uh, yeah. No, thank you for illuminating that because we have to be very mindful and cautious about the convergence of spirituality and spiritual tools with capitalism. And when they come together, a lot of times the mark is missed, right? Like it's, it's very, um, it's tricky because I think I really enjoyed that conversation about self-love that was happening where, you know, it was happening on social media. People were talking like social media is humanity having a conversation with itself. And we're all, um, we were like, what is self-love? From like 2015 to like 2017, if you were like, what's going on here? Like, is this real? Is this good? Is it bad? Mm-hmm. And some people are like, oh, yeah, self-love is like, you know, a bubble bath or, right. the, you know, or like buying myself this or buying myself the thing that I've been missing. And that consumer consumerism aspect of it is still kind of around. But I think a lot more people like the way the way I like to think about self-love. And of course, everyone is, you know, they have their perspective and the one I move with is like, to me, self-love is the energy that you use to heal yourself, mm-hmm. to transform yourself, like to get to know over and over again, like what's in my emotional history and how am I, you know, either rejecting it or accepting it and being with whatever's arising and having that. Cause I love that you said it's a lifelong journey, right? Cause self-love to me, it's like constant application. Right. You're constantly applying it and it's helping you you know, not fight yourself anymore. And I think it's, you know, it's like absolutely necessary. And you'll see that 
from you being able to embrace what's arising within you will come all these, you know, it'll change your relationships. It'll change your, you know, how you show up in the world. It'll access more creativity for you. And I think it's, it's really a, you know, a major point of healing. Right. And I do think that when we work with the mind and we start slowing things down and meditating or practicing awareness practice, that we see where first that self-love is lacking, right? And so that becomes kind of the entry point is like, oh, if I slow down, it's not, I'm going to just slap a bubble bath on top. It's Mm -hmm. if I slow down enough to hear and feel and pay attention to where the stories are looping, repeating, where the critic is talking, you know, mm-hmm. where the shame is is smothering me, et cetera. Those are the places where self-love can come in and enter um, and help open things up. And like you said, remove some of the mm-hmm. heaviness and density. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's where it's not always easy work because no. it's for, you know, it's like, it's not the, it's not the bubblegum pink self-love. It's like, it's the self-love that's like oftentimes fierce or tough or like also tender. Mm-hmm. And dark to look at. So I'm curious when you look mm-hmm. at your life right now, what has been the biggest crucible of the heart? for you, the heart being something that I really have a lot of practice around. A lot of my work centers around the heart and the emotional realm and the body. Um, and it's just a moment where everything shifted for you um, in terms of the way you carried yourself in relation to, to yourself and those you love in your life, like a moment where you felt like your heart open or your heart break or something shift, right? A lot of meditation, we talk about the mind, but in Buddhism, yeah. there is the connection of the heart as, as well, right? I'm curious. If- yeah, I know how the heart is the heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious if there's, um, yeah, if there's something that stands out for you. Oh, that's so of Like knowing I- your heart, feeling it, like coming into like, oh, wow. Okay. There, there that is, or wow, that hurts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think there, um, oh man, there's a particular, there's a story. I never tell a story. I'm going to, I'm going to tell it now. So, um, there was a moment after I did that silent 10 day course. Um, and at that time, my wife and I were in a pretty pivotal junction in our relationship. We had been together for six years and we were sort of taking a little break in that moment. And we, it was, it felt like a make or break moment where we wanted to, you know, figure out like, are are we in this for the long haul? Are we stopping here? Like what's going to happen next? And I spent that summer in Portland, you know, I spent three months on this farm and I remember like, I really wanted clarity about what was going to happen next. And I asked, like, I was just like, I need like a sign, like I need something, you know? And the there was this one moment where I was like, you know, working in the kale patch and just like, I don't know, weeding or something. And Sarah and I were still communicating every day. And, um, and I, I wanted to, I don't know, find like a nickname for her. And I remember this like name just came into my mind, like so suddenly it was, um, Elia, E-L-I-A. And I hadn't heard that name before, hadn't like really, you know, just kind of came out of nowhere. I ended up looking it up a few days later. And uh, one of the, it was a Hebrew name. One of the translations of the name was God has answered. And I was like, damn, I was like, what the hell? And that, that whole moment, like I felt it through and through. It was like everything you know, was just like coming together to speak to me in a language that I understood back then. Wow. And I, it was so shocking and so clear. And I felt that it was like, why are you running away mm-hmm. from the person that is just like, you know, is everything to you? Like, this is the person that you want to be with. And, and I was really grateful and fortunate for that moment because I, I mean, I love, I learned how to love better. I won't say like, you know, I know how to love, but I learned how to love better through our relationship. And 
after that, um, I went home. I asked her to marry me like two weeks later. Wow. And um, we were engaged for three years and then got married. And, and we've been married for eight years now. Mm-hmm. And I just, uh, I'm so grateful for that moment. And I love the way, like, there's this mutable quality to the universe, right? Mm-hmm. Where like, like, you know, I'll reiterate, like, I think that's the way I understood things back then. The way I understand the universe now is like quite different. I've got to see, um, you know, things are just ever, always changing and flowing and flowing. But, um, but I think it spoke to me in the language that I needed in that moment. Right. So it was really, really helpful. Oh, that's beautiful. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us here. Yeah, that's thank you. Beautiful. I only, I think I've only shared that like at my wedding. Oh. <laughs> yeah. How many years in total have you guys been together now? I'm just trying to do the math. A long time, both <laughs> and so so long that the both of us always like when people ask us, we're like, um, just like forever, you know, like wow. it's 16 years, I wow. think. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, we got together really young. Like she, I was, she was 18 and I was 19, and now I'm 35. So you do the math. And so you guys also have a shared spiritual path was it like that from the beginning no no we were just like in this like in this hurricane for the first six years because we were you know we were young and we we didn't know how to manage our own emotions we you know we didn't know what self-awareness was as a concept we were just constantly projecting blaming looking for you know you know just being so attached to each other in unhealthy ways and um when we started meditating, like Sarah and I come from such different backgrounds that we were always kind of like surprised at why we were attracted to each other. Mm. And, um, you know, she's, she like grew up in a suburb and she's Jewish. Um, and I come from Ecuador. I grew up in the inner city and like, but when we saw each other, it was like, whoa, like we have to be together. And, um, but that didn't make sense until we started meditating and when we started meditating you know like i don't remember anything about past lives or anything like that but my relationship with her is the only thing that gives me like it feels like we've done this before you know it feels like this is like a thing that we do we we share life together but we also meditate a lot together and um i think yeah it's just i feel so fortunate because not only is she my best friend you know, the most beautiful person in the world in my eyes. She's like, she's my roommate, but she's also my, my comrade Mm -hmm. in wisdom. And to me, like, yeah, it's sharing that path and moving forward and liberation together and, you know, talking to each other about our practices in great depth and, you know, going to these long meditation retreats together. It just, it, um, there's an element to that relationship that is so, um, and it's, and, you know, it doesn't carry that same, how can I explain this? It's not like when we're together and we're alone and we're like in our house, it's like a beautiful, intimate relationship. But that other relationship that we have is all around wisdom. Mm-hmm. Because when we go to retreats together, you know, where, and we talk to each other at the very end of the, you know, we will do long 30 or 45 day retreats. No one's speaking the whole time. We're, we're in different bedrooms. Um, and then we come together and we process it all, all that together in this context where it's like, we're just two beings who, who love to learn about the universe mm-hmm. and how it's structured. That's so beautiful. I mean, I think that story is rare to have met before you had that sort of spiritual path embarkation and initiation mm-hmm. and that you all were both open to the same or a similar path and then to engaging with it together. I think that's a really, uh, again, another karmic gift. I mean, that's my, my projection of it. Right. But no, that's exactly how I see it too. I feel like it feels like I hit the karmic lottery specifically with that, that relationship that the two of us have in our relationship to that particular type of meditation. And I'm just incredibly grateful. Yeah. I definitely prayed for many, many years to meet someone who was on a similar spiritual path as me. And, you know, there were so many times where I on almost kind of like compromised and said yes to someone who would mm-hmm. like kind of look like they were on a path like mine, like just enough. Yeah. And it was like, no, but it's not it. Um, 
And then with my partner now, it was like terrifying. <laughs> By that time, I was like, oh, do I really want this? <laughs> I was like, really yeah. Because <laughs> I had really built built my own kind of, my own sovereignty and independence and all of that. And I was like, oh, I'm going to really mm-hmm. let someone in and someone who I trust to see me and who I really believe is in deep integrity on their path, which makes it even harder, right? Because it's like, you can't really hide with that. With somebody yeah. who's kind of on the path like you, but like not really, yeah. you can kind of hide. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so beautiful that you guys have had such longevity and that you continue to have that bond. And another thing I was thinking is like, it's I think it's rare that couples can hold multiple kind of tones so that it's like mm-hmm. you said she's the most beautiful woman and she's also my comrade and she's also mm-hmm. you know and i think that 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 kind of breadth of of interaction and relationality mm-hmm. is nuanced and it's like i think it's it that mm-hmm. it shows a depth because a lot of times people just want to affix one kind of role ah, to see, their person yeah. you know <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the other role, too, is that she's the boss. Yeah, she's your like, manager. She, <laughs> yeah. She's the boss. She's like, uh, she's she's just, her view is so important to me. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure you're the but, boss in other ways, right? Like, you, you, you boss in other ways? When she allows me to, ah. yeah. But she's really like, you know, we're really, we're, we're moving at her speed. Oh. Um, but mm. I, um, I think that's like that's been one of the biggest gifts in our relationship is like letting each other evolve. Yeah. Right. Cause like we were like, I mean, especially over what a 15, 16 year period, like we were little kids yeah. when we met and we were like, our brains weren't even fully developed. <laughs> yeah. And we were coming into ourselves and learning our different tastes and preferences and all of that kept evolving. And I think it's been fun having these different relationships and sort of flipping between all of them. And right. At first, it's, you know, it's challenging, but we've learned, you know, oh, we talk about business, we're like, you know, figuring things out, making decisions together. And now it's like, okay, what do you want to watch, you know, or like, where do you want to go on vacation? Or when should we do our next like, long retreat? And it's fun having like, I don't know, in a very positive way. It's like having multiple friends in one. Yeah. And it's sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I think that's beautiful and it kind of expands the role of what partner can be, expands the role of what gender can be. Um, and that's, I think, an evolution, right? Um, I want to read a, a quote from that I love, especially because I love this theme of the heart. Um, another quote from one of your pieces. I lived so long with a closed heart, not because I was afraid to get hurt, but because I was afraid of the pain I had hidden away. Mm. I just, yeah. That is yeah, so that good. one is, uh, yeah, I remember writing that. That was a long time ago. I wrote that one in, um, in Brooklyn and Crown Heights when I was living there. And I think it was, it just became clear. That was like maybe a year or so into bringing daily meditation into my life. And it became so clear, like, you know, I was just afraid of what was in there. (laughs) And once I started engaging with it, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much, like there's so much in there, like so much keeps, you know, coming up and coming up and great. Rather, rather be out than in. Yeah. In those moments where a lot was coming up for you, do you remember how you processed through that, especially that um, emotional kind of overflow and outpouring? I'm so curious because I teach a lot about this and support people yeah. in that as well. Yeah, I think I, I try to deal with it with, um, especially through the meditation practice. But as I'm moving through daily life, it's it's a combination of acceptance without submitting to it mm-hmm. right it's almost like i'm trying to find a subtle space mm-hmm. where i'm being with what is i'm i'm honoring what is happening in this moment but i'm also not letting myself get swayed by it thrown into it or letting it just like 
tell me what to do or, you know, or act mean to myself or other people or anything like that. And there's this power in acceptance that helps alleviate, that helps things burn, but burn away Mm. and not just become a bigger, bigger, bigger fire. So that's usually what we're accustomed to. We're either suppressing it or we're expressing, you know, expressing it to the point where it just becomes this huge blaze. And my uh, teacher, S.N. Goenka, he he has this quote, you know, he says, um, don't express it don't suppress it, just observe it. Mm. And that's been my jam. (laughs) And that's where our practices are a little bit different. (laughs) But I I do have so much respect for, I mean, every soul and every mind has their own needs in a particular lifetime, right? And, um, you know, my path this life hasn't been kind of just sitting in, not just, but sitting in, uh, like say seated meditation, it's been a lot about a bit of a more tantric approach, more oh, totally. not neo tantric, yeah. but tantric in yeah. the, in the sense of really being with the emotion and expressing it and feeling it. And you know, in the past, I would say maybe that was categorized as more archetypally feminine, right? Like women wailing mm-hmm. around a fire or. Um, mm-hmm screaming and labor these types of 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 responses where the energy flows through you you know have you ever do you want to come on one of my retreats (laughs) 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 have you ever done Uh, anything like that this is my last question and just out of curiosity (laughs) no honestly i think it's um i haven't and i just i respect what people do yeah to me it's like you do your thing because like i've learned that my thing is not everybody's thing. Yeah. And I think that's just an important way for us to respect each other, especially as like spirituality and healing. These things are booming and they're not going anywhere. Like they're just going to, people are tired of being miserable. So they're going to find the modalities that meet them where they're at. And they're going to help them take even a few steps forward in this lifetime. Yeah, And, you know, a lot of these different practices, they like exist in different paradigms they may have different goals but they don't negate each other no and and i think it's i think it's amazing i think it's beautiful so yeah to me it's like dude if you're helping people you find your thing like fantastic yeah you know i'm gonna do my quiet thing over there diego's meditating (laughs) and i'm with the women going (laughs) (laughs) quiet too you know and and i like to practice both with people and really make sure that I talk about this in my in my uh, book, but it's like to make sure that the emotion isn't then becoming a storm and a tornado that just kind of sucks you in. It to, in order to do this, and this was a quote that Sally Kempton, mm. bless her, she just passed on. Um, but mm. the author and and tantric teacher um, Sally Kempton, once I heard her say or write, she said, "In order to enter into more tantric spiritual practice, you should." you should have a meditation practice of over 10 years because Mm -hmm. the way I interpreted it was in order to deal with energies that are big, like emotions or sexuality or that kind of thing, you need to have a certain amount of awareness. And so I, I definitely, I always think of that when I'm leading women and, and, and practice, I primarily work with women it's like, we also have to find the center. Otherwise totally. you don't have a point of reference for when. Yeah. You I was just thinking, are you, are you get lost? Yeah. You yeah. get really lost in there. So <laughs> yeah. um, wow. definitely, I think that anyone who does want to be in a kind of a more expression based or emotional based space has to also have an awareness practice or a meditative mm-hmm. practice so that they know how to get back home. So anyway, yeah. just a little cautionary tale. <laughs> No, that's really, I mean, that's, that's really powerful. I, it's funny. I feel like we could have like a whole nother hour podcast where I'm just like asking you mad questions. Like I want to know, I want to know everything. Cause I like, that's to me, it's fascinating hearing about other people's traditions and like what yeah. they're doing and how, how the mind is navigated, how the heart is navigated in these situations. Cause, but I just love like what I, I, I just want to see results. Like yeah. if it's bringing you results, let's rock. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think that mm-hmm. it is the beauty of being on a planet where there are so many streams of wisdom and so many different ways that we can open, that we can find our center, that we can heal. And um, yeah, and everybody's just on their own path. And I wish everybody the best. And 
the amount of people that you have brought into an awareness with your poetry mm-hmm. is amazing with your writing. I know it's, you know, so, so diverse your writing. And I'm just so excited for you to keep witnessing you as your work um, plants little seeds in people's minds. I really see that. I'm like, okay, you're like, planting. Oh, thank you. Yeah. 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 Just gardening. <laughs> right. Which brings you back to, you know, yeah. in order to find that sense of clarity and like meditative spirit and clear creativity, you got to leave the phone mm. and go into the garden, people. <laughs> I know. It's so sweet. Thank you for the, thank you for seeing me and the, and I, just your kindness. And I'm, um, I'm inspired because I feel like the whole point of everything is just to hopefully help people reflect whether yeah. they agree or disagree. Like, it could just be a point of reflection for you to consider yourself and what direction you're moving in. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing your voice and your heart and your stories. Oh my God, my dear sister. Thank you too. This has been wonderful. If this podcast has inspired or moved you, it would mean so much to me if you'd be willing to take 30 seconds to do each or all of the following. From the Dare to Feel profile page on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast, click the follow. Then subscribe to receive notifications of new episodes. While you're there, if you'd be willing to give the podcast a five-star review and share it with a friend, I'd appreciate it so much. 